It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Thank you. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. The show is made possible, as always, by patrons such as Eric and Lori and Stephen and Rebecca and Taylor, Juanita, Curtis, and uh, Nancy, Jan, and Ashley. I appreciate all of the support. They became patrons to support the show and keep it going, and you can too, simply by visiting thepetecalendarshow.com and clicking on the link. The show is also made possible by uh, our sponsors like Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com is the website. Um, you can go there and uh, peruse all of the inventory at all of their locations. They've got four in the Asheville area, Asheville, Arden, Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide, okay? So if you want to support the folks who support the show, mattressmanstores.com. Uh, if you're not local, if you are local, well, I guess you could still use the website, but you can walk right into one of their stores. They have the 120-day comfort guarantee, so uh, it, you know, if you don't love the mattress and think it is the best mattress, uh, then they'll swap it out for you in 120 days. Uh, they have five-star delivery service, local white glove, free delivery, local, uh, and as I said, they do ship nationwide. Um, and uh, they are practicing all of the safety protocols all of the uh, the sanitizing of the card readers and the registers, social distancing, masks, all of that stuff. Uh, they have, you know, coverings for the pillows. So if you want to lay down, it'll be a single-use pillowcase. They're, they've got you covered, okay? Um, they sell all of the best kinds of mattresses, including the Biltmore Collection, which is by Restonic, which is manufactured in North Carolina. Uh, and these are the mattresses that the Biltmore uses at their... Uh, at their hotel. Uh, they also, of course, have all of the other kinds of mattresses. My wife and I, we've got a memory foam mattress, and we love it. We say it's like sleeping on a big marshmallow because you lay on the thing and it just forms all around you. So you're always perfectly supported, you know? Um, and everybody loves to be supported, don't they? Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local, sleep better. So have you noticed that whenever police kill an African-American... Uh, there are mass protests scheduled, um, and uh, the the protests generally start off very peaceful, right? They're they're walking, they're marching, they're protesting. There's a lot of people. A lot of times, the cops are out there with them. In Asheville, here we had uh, our local police department, and the chief went out there and took a knee in front of the protesters, like knelt down before the protesters, and then they then they knelt down and. I don't know, but they they all took a knee together, and uh, and so there's this you know moment of solidarity and everything, and then the protests uh, sort of disperse, kind of as the sun sets, and then the violence erupts. Have you noticed this pattern? I kind of talked about it a little bit yesterday, but it is interesting how it's always the same pattern, right? Has been now for a couple of years. It's almost as if everybody knows the playbook now. There's a script involved, and I'm not saying that it's totally scripted, although a lot of it is. I'm not saying it's totally scripted, but there are people that are aware of how this plays out, and you can utilize that to your advantage, particularly if you're trying to uh, cause mayhem, right? You know what the playbook is, playbook is going to be, particularly in cities with Democrat mayors, Democrat councils, Democrat governors of states. They're not interested in uh, going after 
the looters and the the rioters and stuff they they treat them with kid gloves which is it's i've got a juxtaposition here we're going to outline in a bit um but it's it, it it is in the news business i say this all the time in the news business having the institutional knowledge knowing the past right having a memory of things that occurred you know, not just recently, but years and years and years ago, is vital to understanding context and being able to highlight differences um, when doing stories, when committing acts of journalism. And you would think that there would be people in the journalism field in North Carolina that would be able to remember the reaction from the Democrats and the left when a couple business owners wanted to reopen and they organized a Facebook page and they got like a couple hundred people to go to Raleigh and protest. Do you remember the reaction to that? Yeah. No reaction like that now. No reaction like that going on. We were told that the reopen NC protests were going to kill people. That's what they were doing. They were, they were. what did the governor call it? Reckless and dangerous. Hang on a second. I have... Uh, our friend Stacy Matthews at redstate.com. She, um, do, do, yeah, here, uh, by doing so, they endangered themselves, their families, their friends, and others with whom they came in contact. When the six foot distancing requirement is not followed, law enforcement may intervene to enforce the order and thereby protect both the public and the protesters themselves. That's what the governor's legal counsel said about the reopen NC protesters last month who were allegedly not social distancing. And uh, what did Cooper call it? Dangerous and reckless. That's what he called the. Um, uh, uh, people who went to the, the Speedway and the Speedway operators in, what was it, Ace, North Carolina, right, uh, call, uh, called it reckless and dangerous. No such language like that now. No such language like that being applied. No, no, see, it's it's different, you see, it's different. Protesting against the death of a man in Minneapolis and saying that this is representative of everything everywhere, that trumps that trumps trying to save your business. That's the standard I'm seeing applied here. And I'm not making light of this. I'm not being flippant. I'm not being sarcastic. That's the, that's the, uh, the standard. That if you, are, uh, tr- if you are seeking redress from this administration, from this government, if you are seeking redress for, uh, for oppressive measures they have enacted against you, that's limiting your ability to uh, to exercise constitutional freedoms, uh, you get one set of treatment versus another set of treatment that we're seeing with these riots now. And even the protests, because really it's not about the rioting and the looting at this point, right? It's, it's just about the mass gatherings. It's very interesting. Let me start, though, with House Speaker Tim Moore. He's a Republican, and he's from Kings Mountain, uh, and so when he's in session, he's got an apartment. Well, I don't know if it's just in session, but he's got an apartment. A lot of lawmakers who spend a lot of time in Raleigh, they'll uh, get an apartment and a lot of them will like double up or triple up. And so they'll all like split the costs of an apartment in Raleigh. Uh, and uh, he's got one. I don't know where, but he's got one in downtown Raleigh. And so he was watching all of the rioting and looting as it was occurring over the weekend. And he was he was like face tubing it, you know, or Facebook live streaming it. And uh, so he had a really good view. Apparently he's got, you know, some, uh, he's up high. He said, I think at one point, like, I don't know if, I don't know if he said penthouse. Okay. I'm not sure if he said penthouse, although he is a Republican lawmaker. So of course he'd be in the penthouse. <laughs> anyway. So he says he's up in this, he's 
he's up pretty high. So he's got a good view. He's got a bird's eye view of what's going on around downtown Raleigh. Um, and he was face tubing it the other night. So um, after the weekend, he uh, calls a press conference on Monday and he says uh, that the governor, Roy Cooper, Democrat, should have mobilized the National Guard so as to be ready for any violence. I don't know how much damage could have been prevented, but I would submit to you that it would be a lot. Uh, I can tell you that I've had conversations with, uh, with members of this assembly, Democrats and Republicans alike, who share a lot of these same concerns. In fact, yesterday I had an opportunity to talk with a number of the uh, families and individuals who came downtown to protest. And they told me they did not support what was happening with some of these rioters, excuse me, with all of these rioters and looters that would show up later on at night. Mm -hmm. Now, I did see that there were some folks who were there earlier in the day among the protesters. And that, that's where I saw a couple of the guys that had the Antifa things, had the flags. Uh, the red Antifa flags, hmm. you saw them, and they were there as well at night when a lot of the damage was done. Interesting. But as far as the uh, you know the, fam the folks who came down who wanted to protest and, and, and air their grievances, uh, they weren't there at night when the damage was done. And so, uh, and, and those protesters were telling me the same thing, that what those rioters and looters were doing at night was taken away from their message, taken away of what they wanted to talk about. Right. I agree. And this is a problem now. This has become a problem, and it's because of um, the hesitancy to enforce law during these types of protests because of the racial component and because it's a protest against cops, right? You're protesting against cops, and uh, you're up in their faces, and they don't much appreciate it, and uh, then it's like, okay, time to clear the streets because now you're throwing stuff at the cops, and you know they're already antagonistic towards you because they're protesting you. So, um, so you already have that dynamic and this has just been going on for years now, but now it's kind of morphed and you've got the Antifa folks who, uh, again, it, they're following a playbook. It's a script. Every time this happens in a community, uh, it, it gives, uh, it, it sort of, it sort of starts the new book, the new chapter, or 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 the uh, you turn the page in the playbook, and okay, now we're in a new city, and you just start deploying your assets, and you start sending people into the cities. And I've seen enough videos where it's obvious that people, Antifa folks, are showing up in cities and causing trouble, and that's not going to stop unless law enforcement does something and starts making lots of arrests and uh, 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 you know handing out really stiff punishments for it. Um, or, ideally, a lot of the people who are doing the, the peaceful protesting, that they're the ones who start identifying the Antifa people and uh, kick them out of their out of their uh, their marches. And I saw some of I saw some videos like that, which is very encouraging, right? It's good to see it, you, you see somebody who is uh, you know they show up and they're there to cause trouble, uh, and at first. People don't want to. This happened with the Tea Party, by the way. And of course, the left is the left is not nearly as charitable towards the Tea Party as I'm about to be uh, for them in this case. But the Tea Party, uh, when they started off and they would do their protests, it was all about the spending. It was about the stimulus. Actually, it was about the tarp first, right? There was the the uh, the big bailout of the banks and uh, the spending and all of that. And uh, there was this big outrage uh, from the Tea Party and. Uh, then what started happening, there were people that would show up and they would have like, remember the guy who showed up with like a Nazi flag or something? And then that picture goes viral. And, oh, look at that. They're all Nazis at the Tea Party, you know, uh, rallies and stuff. 
Um, and so when people first show up at, at these rallies and they see people, you know, it's not like they're running around trying to police everything at that point because it's a new kind of a uh, movement. You know, it's a new event. And uh, over time, though, when you go to more and more of these things, you see the same people, but you also become aware of how bad actors are trying to infiltrate and then you become able to identify them call them out and uh you know cull them from the herd and i think i'm hoping fingers crossed that that's what's starting to happen with some of these marches uh like i said i've seen a lot of videos uh there was one woman who uh saw a, a like literally a mercedes packed with four black clad uh, uh lily white antifa types that are ha- that handed a brick to uh, a black guy on the sidewalk. They drove up and they're like, here, here's a brick. And some woman saw it, took the black woman, saw it, took the brick, walked up to the car and put the brick back into there. She did not throw it at them. She put, she, she handed it back to them and scolded them for, for inciting violence. Like, and, and saying like, you give, you give this guy a brick, like you're going to get him killed. You're going to get him injured. You're going to get him arrested. How dare you? Right? So hopefully more of that happens. Fingers crossed again. Fingers crossed. Now, Speaker Moore said that he is hoping that uh, we have uh, peaceful nights now that the governor has called up 450 National Guard and offered them to uh, the the cities and various cities are taking him up on that. Uh, but he says, uh, Speaker Moore said that he's hoping that it's more peaceful across the entire state now. And Governor Cooper he says, needs to take it more seriously. This whole thing needs to take it more seriously rather than give the rioters and looters, he said, a free pass. You know, the comments about, about uh, uh, not valuing or, or not, not as concerned about damage to property, look, to a person, everyone is going to tell you that lives are more important than property. But you don't signal to folks who are coming out and damaging and rioting property that you're basically not going to insist that property is protected. And what Moore is referring to here was the comment that I uh, uh, cited yesterday in the governor's speech when he did the press availability, where it only took like two questions, but the, uh, on Sunday, right? And he said that uh, people are more valuable than property. And it does. It sends this signal that, like, Okay, yes, of course, everybody recognizes that. It's like, okay, Pete, you've got this person's life in the one hand, and on the other hand, you have this building. Which is more valuable? Like, which should we save? Right? But that's not the choice. That's a false choice that was offered by the governor, and that's why he got such a backlash for it, because it was garbage. And, and look, I get it. He didn't write it. Somebody else wrote it for him, and he delivered it to the teleprompter. Fine, but he still said it, you know? You should, you should have editorial control over what you're saying. So the false dichotomy that is offered there of uh, it's either this or that, and it's not fair, it's dishonest, and it sends this signal that, oh, okay, and by the way, the Raleigh chief of police said the same thing. She said the same thing. She said that she's not going to put any of her officers in in harm's way for property. What does that mean? Loot. Riot. No more charges for property crimes, I guess. Right? And to a communist, by the way, that's fantastic because they don't believe in property anyway, right? Like, that's... Okay. Sorry. It's, you can't expect me to pass up a commie property joke. Right? Come on. All right. Back to more. 
I think the first night, Gary, we had, I don't know if we had any arrests in downtown Raleigh. I'm not sure. I think last night there were a minimal number of arrests. When someone goes in and breaks something and, and, and damages it, that person needs to be arrested. When the second person does, does it, they need to be arrested. The police officers that I've spoken with uh, the last few days have said once you arrest the first few of the people who are actually committing damage, then the rest will stop because a lot of the people just are, are there and, and these rioters and looters will just mix in with them and create this mayhem. But if you actually arrest those who are doing this, it will make a difference. But the problem it was, particularly on uh, night before last, there was no, I mean, I was seeing this. There was no way that the Raleigh Police Department could, go, could arrest these folks. They didn't have enough resources there. There was no way they could have done it. The National Guard should have been there that, that evening. And what would happen, I mean, I was seeing this play out. In fact, I even, I was so frustrated. And it was getting late, and of course, and the, you, know, the television, you all in the t- television stations had stopped covering it by 2 in the morning by the helicopters and all. I could still see this happening. And what would happen was you would have a large group, of course, at times that were protesters, but when the, when the, I guess the anarchy, for lack of a better description, and the rioting started and the looting, it wasn't one single group. It was a lot of different groups. And they would go, for example, to an intersection, and they would start a fire. They would drag pallets and things out there, start a fire, and then you, and then you could see the police mobilizing over here and the fire department here. And then they would come in, and about the time they got there to put out the fire, the group was gone, and they were doing something else. Then they would split up into even small groups. I was seeing fires being started all over this city. So he's got the bird's eye view. He says there needs to be a message that lawlessness is not going to be permitted, that people who commit mayhem will be arrested. And the governor should have called in the National Guard much sooner than he did. When there are soldiers there with a Humvee, uh, with, with weapons, uh, these rioters and looters, they think twice before messing with something right there. They know that that's not going to be a smart decision for them to make. And that needs to happen. You know, we, we've talked about, by the way, we've talked about the, the property in downtown Raleigh, same in Charlotte. But, I mean, let's not forget, this, this is a neighborhood where people live, where families live. There are several facilities in, in, uh, in downtown Raleigh where, where the elderly live. And you have these folks there, they can't just get out and leave. That's their home. They have no way to get out. And, and I can tell you, as someone who's living at the top of a high-rise building, the thought of a fire, of a fire being started on the ground floor of that building is not something that allows you to get a very good night's sleep. And I've talked to other folks who live in a lot of these buildings in our cities. You know, and we, and we work really hard. If you think about downtown Charlotte, or uptown Charlotte, you think about downtown Raleigh, you think about where... We've seen a lot of resources brought back and helping bring back our downtowns and our cities. One of the things is getting people to move in. How are folks going to feel comfortable moving in when they're not sure they're going to be protected? And and we just we have to have much more. Um, there has to be much more leadership on this. So by the way, I think now that's uh, that's that's the plan. I, I hadn't even realized it. Maybe this is the plan. Just make it so scary that they might be attacked by a mob that nobody ever wants to go there. I can't believe I've missed it all this time. Really, I apologize for not being more open-minded and not seeing the angle there. Maybe that's what this is all about. You just destroy the entire um, core economies of central city districts, and uh, then this way, all of the the hipsters, they get the run of the place. I, I, I apologize. I didn't see it until just now. I would normally not come have a, have a press conference on this, but, but after having seen this for two days, um, 
witnessing this firsthand in this position, I, I knew I had to speak up because there are a lot of people, um, a lot of people who've seen their livelihoods destroyed. I mean, look, they were already dealing with COVID-19. Well, think about these restaurants. Think about these hotels. Think about people who've poured their life savings into a business only to have the situation with the virus where they can't open and now to have just utter lawlessness to it. And, and let's not forget, there is a serious, there is a serious issue about, about racial inequality that's there. But guess what? Because of the rioters and the looters, you can't even have the conversation about the racial inequality that we need to keep working on. He went on to say that the state needs clear guidance and clear leadership. He needs to be very clear that we that, that as a state that we are not going to tolerate this. Uh, and, and I frankly did not get that from the comments with all due respect that the governor made. Uh, I, I think it needs to be very, very clear. Uh, and I think the fact that two nights have been allowed like we've had in the state. And, and, and bear in mind, it's not just limited to here. You know, the folks who are watching this press conference, uh, most of them did not see this in their neighborhoods. But can they imagine if it did? Can they imagine if it was, if it were, if, if, if this was going on right outside their home? And and if you don't control a lot of these anarchist groups, uh, we I saw a lot of out-of-state tags, for example. Uh, some of my staff actually saw uh, folks who were who were donning uh, hats and uh, backpacks, where they were putting like the the big long ones, were putting a baseball bat down in it. Uh, with out-of-state tags that were here in downtown Raleigh and heading out here to go create all sorts of mayhem. Uh, if these folks think they can come to North Carolina, often bought and paid for and supported by some of these leftist organizations like Antifa and otherwise, probably getting paid sometimes for doing this stuff, to come here, create mayhem, damage property, hurt people, and just leave and go on, what's the, what's the incentive? You know, what, what's the disincentive for them not to do it? And I think we, we, have to, uh, we, we have to insist we are a nation of laws, and those laws have to be enforced. Right. I think this is a very valid point. Like, what is the deterrent? What is the disincentive? If I can pack up a bunch of my leftist friends into my trust fund paid for Mercedes and drive to a neighboring state, go to one of the cities... And just run around and uh, and just bash in windows, set fire to police cars, um, and uh, and then just you know get back into my trust fund paid for Mercedes and drive home to my gated community that mommy and daddy uh, and their uh, you know and all of their wealth have allowed me to live in, and I go back to this uh, to this house and and nothing ever happens to me. Like, what's the deterrent? There's no risk to me, right? Except what if I somehow get injured? during my uh, my wilding or my mayhem uh, rioting. I, 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 I don't know. And I, I find it funny that some lefties are on Twitter today saying, oh, wow, look at this. The North Carolina Republicans certainly are, sh- certainly are, are showing uh, some authoritarian streak over all of this. Look at that. They're trying to crack down on this. Okay, first off, uh, Republicans generally do have a reputation as the law and order party. But on the other hand, uh, there's a fundamental thing at play here where the uh, the the purpose, the first and foremost purpose of government is to provide security, is to provide an umbrella of security so that free association and commerce can occur. If you don't have security, nothing happens. You don't even have a society. You're going to get invaded, taken over, wiped out. You're done. Right? 
That's how it works. So people create a government in order to provide for mutual defense. And once you have the mutual defense covered, then, okay, well, now we can open up some shops, we can uh, set up some homes and stuff, and you can have a civilization that flourishes. So what we're seeing in these riots is the breakdown of a society. And that's what Antifa wants, by the way. That's what they're interested in. Because they consider everybody who doesn't agree with them to be fascists. So they're anti-fascist, everyone's a fascist, so they're against everybody that's not them. Those are the rules. And if you don't understand that, lefties, uh, they're playing you. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice on how to be prepared for one? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old-school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He's going to hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. It's American-made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouch is on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. Also, this show is made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Her phone number is 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. I have had good realtors. I've had experience with not-so-good ones. Rowena and her team, they're good ones. They're great ones, actually. They outsell 99% of the real estate agents in the entire state. Okay, call the only agent that I would call if I'm looking for a house or if I'm looking to sell my house. Call Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. And finally, the show is also made possible by Schaefer Smith. Have you seen the logo of the Pete Callender Show? He did that. If you're trying to set up your website, maybe you need a logo, call my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design. He can help you with logos, graphics, photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. He does this for professional services, corporations, small businesses, entrepreneurs. If you know now the importance of having a good functional website, Get in touch with Schaefer Smith. Make your site look professional, user-friendly for both your customers and you so you can uh, navigate it and fix it and adapt to whatever the market demands. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, was not the only Republican leader that had uh, comments and reactions to the protests and riots and the governor in uh, uh, out of Raleigh, uh, Senator Phil Berger, the leader of the North Carolina Senate, uh, he put out a statement saying the, and I'm going to quote from it here, he says, the tragic death of George Floyd at the hands of law enforcement in Minnesota was shocking to all people committed to fairness and justice in our society. Across the nation and in North Carolina, we've seen citizens engage in peaceful protests to express their hurt, a desire for justice and anger, natural and constitutionally protection re, uh, protected reactions. Um, and unfortunately, he says, in some instances, including some right here in North Carolina, these protests descended into chaotic riots punctuated by the wanton destruction of property, taunting of law enforcement and looting. Such was the case in Raleigh, where shut down, uh, sorry, where downtown businesses uh, faced shattered windows uh, flooded and graffiti-stained storefronts, and looted shelves. Lawlessness and destruction cannot be permitted. Given the experience of other localities in recent days, 
preparations should have been in place in the event things were getting out of hand. Were such contingencies contemplated? If so, what was the plan? If not, why not? What, if any, advanced preparations were taken to involve state emergency and law enforcement resources? Local and state executive agency leaders have a duty to uh, to the public to be prepared to respond to the kind of anarchy seen on our streets. I hope the advance preparation uh, was not for the police to be given stand-down orders as rioters set fire to buildings and looted stores. Leaders in Raleigh and Wake County should be forthright with the public and explain how this was allowed to happen and provide assurance that adequate steps are in place to prevent this chaos and destruction from happening again. Um... I don't know if the police chief's response at a Raleigh is any indication. <laughs> She's not going to be telling her officers to stop the rioting or looting or anything else. She said, uh, no officer, uh, no officer's life or putting them in harm's way. It's not worth it for any property. So, um, see, and that's the thing. It's once again, the Democrats are running this talking point of uh, property versus lives, just like they did with the COVID stuff, right? Oh, it's the economy versus lives, money versus lives. They always frame it like this. And that's not the choice. It's a false choice they're, uh, they're offering because they want you to pick their side. And so they, when they position themselves as we're the ones who are for the, the lives, oh, well, then I'm for lives, so I must be with you. When that wasn't the that wasn't the choice, you see, because when you allow people to run through a city and torch it and burn it, the long term ramifications on many people's lives is so much greater over the long term, right? It really is. Like when you stop and think about, I mean, because think about this, right? How many businesses are we going to lose because of COVID nineteen? What do you think? Half, sixty percent of restaurants or. 40%, 30%, whatever that number is, how many do you think we lose? Okay, now add on to that businesses that were just hanging on, barely, during all of this, after all of this, and then what happens? Oh, they got looted. Do you think they're coming back from that? Of course not. I've got, hang on a second, in, down in Charlotte, I've got CMPD says they arrested 30 people. Uh, in one night, uh, this would have been Sunday night, I believe. CMPD says explosives were thrown and shots were fired at businesses. Police found shell casings inside BB&T Bank and Panera Bread. Kings, by the way, BB&T and Panera Bread. Why would there be shell casings and why would somebody be shooting into these places? By the way, one of the hallmarks, completely unrelated to this, is. Uh, of of Antifa, one of their hallmarks is uh, they go after the corporations. They tend to target the corporations rather than the mom and pop stores. I mean, don't get me wrong, they target those too, but if they have a choice, uh, they'll choose the big evil corporation. So, not for nothing, just figured I'd let you know, just throw that in here. Uh, also, they, uh, where is it? King's Kitchen and Discovery Place suffered extensive damage. Why, why is this important? By the way, and this is a tweet from Joe Bruno, who was quoting the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department. Uh, why is this important? Well, Discovery Place, which might very well look like some sort of a chain operation, is not. It's the county's children's museum. It's a learning museum for kids. Yeah, kids from all over the area, down in the Charlotte area, all over the place. They all go to Discovery Place like every year for their school field trips. It's like a hands-on kind of a learning museum. 
extensive damage. Good job, everybody. But it makes sense, right? Because any locals would know that that's Discovery Place, right? The locals would know what Discovery Place is because if they grew up there, that's Discovery Place. Oh, yeah. My, I went there. My kids went there. Like, this Discovery Place has been around for a long time. But it's on Tryon Street, right in the heart of downtown. And so that got damaged extensively, apparently. And King's Kitchen. You wouldn't know what King's Kitchen is. But King's Kitchen, uh, unless you're in Charlotte and have ever heard of them before, obviously. But King's Kitchen employs people who are trying to get back on their feet. And it donates all of its profits to organizations that help others. It's like a, it's a restaurant with a mission, you know, and that's what they that's what they damaged. That's what they attacked. This is what this is the kind of lunacy, idiocy, ignorance, depravity. Michael Knowles tweeted phase one reopen retail for curbside pickup phase two gather by the thousands and torch cities and loot businesses and phase three reopen the churches and gyms at 25 percent capacity that's the that's the reopen plan now for us all again this is planned it is organized across multiple cities these are not random citizens they're using the same tactics in every city random protesters yeah they could go into a store and they loot sure but they don't prep gasoline containers they don't bring hammers to break up sidewalks and windows you know these are tactics that are taught these are antifa tactics that's who's employing them again maybe some local officials would like to i don't know brush up on some of this stuff i I, i'm a giver i'm just offering this information to you please i hope you take it meanwhile the Department of Health and Human Services every day during the whole COVID-19 lockdown has been doing press briefings. And through about two or three times a week, the governor leads the press briefings. That's why I mean, we've been covering it here for the last month and a half or so. Uh, but you never know if you're going to get Governor Cooper. Um, and honestly, you don't ever know when the briefings are going to occur. They just have different times, different days. You just got to log in, check and see, okay, today's at four, today's at two, whatever. So Monday, they had their news conference and Cooper was not there, not there. I mean, he's busy doing other things, right? He's not going to get up and make himself available at a press conference here. I mean, yes, he appeared Sunday in the same location at the emergency operations center and, and he appeared the same place. Um, same podium, same equipment, took a question or two, and then the equipment malfunctioned, and so he couldn't take any more questions. Sorry, he totally would have. So then Monday, uh, they do the COVID regular briefing that he attends two or three times a week, uh, but he did not attend, and it appeared zero problems with the malfunctioning equipment. So a bunch of reporters got to ask their questions. But um, he was not there to answer any questions uh, it was all Mandy Cohen, and so it kind of in- ensured that uh, there would be no questions about the riots. It would only be about the COVID, and I'm sure that's not by design. I'm sure that was just completely coincidental. It spared Cooper uh, of having to uh, do a Q&A with media uh, after, what, three days of uh, Charlotte and Raleigh burning. So, The DHHS secretary, Mandy Cohen, held the COVID newser, and here is how she started it all off. George Floyd. I can't say anything else without first saying his name. George Floyd is now one of far too many 
who have lost their lives. Pervasive injustices have been hardened into our system over centuries. Too often, people of color pay for these long-standing inequities with their lives. Some in obvious ways, like George Floyd, and far too many whose names we do not know in less obvious ways. Structural racism has created poor outcomes in educational attainment, criminal justice, and of course, health outcomes. In almost every health measure, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, infant mortality, our communities of color fare worse. One only has to look at our COVID-19 dashboard to see these inequalities on full display. In North Carolina, African-Americans make up an estimated 22% of our population, yet account for 34% of our COVID-19 deaths. Too many families have lost loved ones. I want you to know that I see you. I see your deep hurt and sadness. I understand the despair and fully support the need to peacefully protest. And I was heartened to see that in the midst of so much pain, many showed their care for those around them by covering their face. However, any form of violence and destruction does not serve our collective goals for justice. My heart goes out to the business owners across the state who are grappling with losses. While we cannot undo the harm that communities of color have suffered, we can act. And I cannot walk in the shoes of any person of color, but I can use my place of privilege and power to do better. One small down payment on that call to action is how we respond to COVID-19 as a state and as a department. Today, DHHS released a request for vendors to help us ramp up testing and tracing efforts. In that request, we are focused on historically marginalized communities. We want to partner with minority-owned businesses and businesses that hire a diverse workforce. And we want those partners to focus their testing and tracing work on those historically marginalized communities in culturally appropriate ways. All righty. So <laughs> I know. Did you see your brain when you rolled your eyes back into your head so far earlier? Did, like, did you see the brain? <laughs> uh, it's just it's just it's a bit much. You know, it's it's a bit much. And uh, I've said it. For weeks now, people always need to keep in mind that Mandy Cohen is a political animal. She is, yeah, she is perfectly happy to swim in these social justice war, uh, warrior waters. Perfectly happy to be there. Um, and uh, she then introduced, I thought this was interesting, she then introduced two senior staffers at DHHS uh, who are going to be leading the testing and tracing stuff, like the contracts that they're going to be soliciting and um, they're both black. So these are senior staff members running the operations, um, and they're both African-Americans. And so I just, uh, I I noticed it. Uh, she brought them out there for a reason, and then uh, uh, one of them began uh, talking about, um, uh, you know, the sort of the same sort of vibe that, uh, uh, that Dr. Cohen was talking about, and she started naming, like, uh, other victims and such. 
and then you know pivoted to we're going to be looking for you know minority owned businesses here's how we're doing our testing and tracing contracts blah 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 um, but I, I I only bring that up because somebody asked me, could you imagine what the reaction would have been if this were a Republican administration? Just think for a moment. I know this is the game that people on the right always love to play because it's easy. It's really very easy because we all know the answer. <laughs> we all know the answer. There was because there was no outrage or mockery or accusations against the Democrat administration, and there shouldn't be, by the way. I like the first thing that crosses my mind when I see these people come up, they're like, okay, so they're going to be running the programs. Like, that's what I thought. I like they're they have these jobs. They're doing these jobs. They're going to talk about the jobs that they're doing. Right. But, you know, if Cooper were a Republican and they brought these these folks into the press briefing, that they would be accused of using these staffers as props. Right. Oh, look, at oh, you're bringing out the African-American staffer in order to say, look, we have blacks in our administration, right? This is this is what Democrats benefit. This is one of the benefits Democrats get just by default. It's the assumption that they're not racist. They're not bigoted. They're not prejudiced. It's not them. It's it's everybody else. You see, even today, still today, not even today, it's still, it's ongoing. It's this idea that, oh, this is all the fault of the Republicans. I'm like, before I cracked the mic here, I literally had this argument with a uh, a person um, who I believe is out of the, well, it doesn't matter. So uh, this person's on Twitter and I, I, they're, they're making the argument that all of this stuff is the Republicans fault. Like, dude, this state has been controlled by the democratic party since reconstruction, since the civil war, like this the republicans have been in charge for now nine years nine out of a century and a half nine years and the last time they had a taste of power y'all instituted a coup and you murdered a bunch of black people and republicans out in wilmington you know so oh look at them now they're gerrymandering and they're corrupt oh okay well hey let me tell you about mel watts district let me tell you about mike easley jim black meg scott phipps frank balance kevin gettings could i go on yes the executive directors of the north carolina democratic party one after the other who got thrown out for sexual harassment of various forms like you guys the democrat party in this state has been a complete poop show for decades, and they have been running the show for decades. The great deceit, the greatest trick they have played is convincing African-American voters to the extent that they have that they're the party that represents their interests. And they've done it by promising them stuff, government programs and stuff. And the limited government folks say, well, wait a minute, you're just now... You're, you're, you're hooking them to GovCo. You're making them dependent on government. And it's not anything about race. It's about human nature. This is about anybody. You hook people to GovCo and you, I mean, look at what's happening right now with the uh, uh, unemployment, with the Trump checks, the Donald dollars, right? That everybody's getting the money and you're on unemployment and you're making more money on unemployment than you made when you were working. And I understand why they did it, but it creates a negative incentive, Right. So if you have this negative incentive to go back to work, you're not going to go back to work. So anyway, they moved to the Q&A, which again, this portion, the comms equipment was apparently miraculously fixed after malfunctioning less than 24 hours prior. And Travis Fain from uh, WRAL, he asks the question that I was interested to hear, uh, because what have we been hearing about COVID-19 for the last three months? You know, don't go into mass gatherings. 
don't be around other people, self-isolate. We got the three W's, you know, all of this stuff. And now you saw on the streets, like thousands of people all breathing each other's lung juice. So, um, and then you got the cops firing pepper spray and tear gas. Everybody's hacking and coughing more lung juice into the air. So uh, what is the deal? Are we going to see a bunch of more cases? Like this is a really bad thing. And I remember, I mean, I'm old enough to remember this. Maybe you are not, but I'm old enough to remember when a bunch of people with the reopen NC uh, organization or the Facebook group, and they went out and started protesting. I mean, there were some harsh words aimed at them for going out and risking the lives of grandma. They're going to get people killed. And remember, like, you shouldn't go to hospitals now. If you're going out protesting, you shouldn't be going to hospitals. If you get COVID-19, that's the deal. So here's Travis Fain asking this question, albeit he sheepishly backs into it, kind of, sort of. Please don't be mad at me when I ask you this. I'm interested in how high levels of concern we ought to have uh, as far as COVID-19 spreading uh, amongst protesters and law enforcement. If you could speak to that, but also, you know, we're, we're several weeks out from various reopened protests. Is there any evidence that anyone involved in those protests, whether in North Carolina or in other states, uh, passed the disease, got the disease, or have we seen any increase amongst law enforcement, either because that or simply because they have a job where it is difficult to social distance and where they're in contact with the public. Are we seeing anything in our tracing that points to uh, these things as spreader events? Oh, my God. Just ask the question, man. <laughs> Shorter questions are better. Shorter questions are better because it forces a, a, an immediate reaction that you give the subject less time to think. So what is he asking? He, for, he says, how high of a level of concern should we have? I don't even know what that means, but like you should say, like the question should be, you said, like, if you really want to frame it, you could say, well, you said last week about the reopen NC people, blah, blah, blah. Does the same apply? I mean, if you want to nail somebody, you want to nail them on their hypocrisy, get it, you know, get them to address what is obviously the, the root of the issue here. Uh, that's the way you would frame that question. If you're trying to be sort of uh, neutral about it, you would just ask them, are you concerned? And if so, how much? Right. Uh, and then let her just, you know, give a neutral answer. But this is like how high of a level of concern. And then he meanders through like evidence of spread from the reopen uh, protests in other states and all this stuff. Giving her ample opportunity to ignore parts of one question and address the one the parts that she wants to address. So here's her response. Travis, thanks for the question. First, let me say, as I mentioned in my remarks, I was heartened to see a lot of the folks who were protesting over the weekend, they were wearing face coverings. And so I was appreciative in the context of all of the, the pain <laughs> and uh, anguish of the weekend uh, that people were taking that that um, act of care and kindness um, to protect the world from from them and to wear those face coverings. So I largely did see a lot of face coverings, not everywhere. And so again, to remind folks that face coverings is one component of our three W's. And it's but do you hear the way she's? Do you hear the difference in tone? It's it's sympathetic. It's oh, good. I'm glad so many people wore the masks. I mean, it wasn't as many as I would have liked. Well, you, they're at a protest. And, and you're telling them, hey, we want you to wear face coverings. No problem. <laughs> I'll do it. Right. Oh, no, don't make me wear a face covering while I'm getting ready to riot. 
Of course, they're wearing face coverings. Really important uh, to wear a face covering, but also important to keep your distance and to wash your hands. Mm. Um, so I think all of those are important in, in concert together. Um, we will have to wait and see if this the, the weekend's events cause more spreading of virus. I think any time there are more people who are in closer contact, even when they're outside, I think that is a, a risk. As I look back to other protest events like Reopen, I'm not aware of, of anything that, that has come to light through our contact tracing, though I'll go back to our team and see if there's um, anything that we have, have been able to identify. But that's, again, why we need to continue um, our vigilance. The hard part about this virus, we don't know who might be what's called a super spreader um, and, 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 and cause virus spread to many tens or hundreds of people um, in one outing. Um, but that's exactly the kinds of things we're trying to avoid with all of these actions that we're taking um, to make sure people are socially distant, that they do cover their, um, cover their face um, and, and do wash their hands. So uh, we'll, we'll keep our eye on this. And I, I would say that, look, over the weekend, um, I know a lot was going on, but we also had our highest day of new cases here in North Carolina um, over the weekend. And so uh, the virus is here. It's in our communities. It's going to be with us. And so we need to all work together collectively to keep that spread of the virus low. Okay. So not aware of any spread from any of the other events, the reopen events or anywhere else in America, I guess. Not aware of any of that, which seems to me kind of odd. Like if you're trying to track spread, wouldn't you take a keen interest to know the states that reopened or had protests and that sort of thing? Wouldn't you want to know specifically what happened in those places so you can make a better decision based on data and science and facts? So am I. Uh, and then Carrie Travis from the Carolina Journal. Carolina Journal finally got a question asked. I think this might be their second one in three months. They were finally called upon, and Carrie Travis asked a follow-up question. Hi, Secretary Cohen, and thank you so much for taking my question. Um, Travis Bain hit on this a little bit, um, but I am <laughs> thinking about these protests in terms of people wearing face coverings, but still being closer together um, than that six-foot uh, measurement, still shouting. We've talked about how shouting can sometimes, um, you know, emit some, you know, more viral threat. Long juice. Even Just say so, long juice. Do you recommend or, or encourage protesting um, all together at this juncture? Well, we want to make sure that folks can have their voices heard. I think what we what we saw over the weekend um, mm. was, was folks wanting to be heard. So, do you hear that? We want to make sure folks can have their voices heard. That is more important than limiting the spread of the deadly virus, a virus that's so deadly that we shut down the entire freaking country, right? For three months, it's that deadly. You can catch it anywhere. It's all over the place. Everyone's dying from it. It is so deadly. Everyone has to stay out of business. Sorry, your entire wealth, your entire life saving, the college trust fund, all of that, or, or savings fund has all been destroyed. You're wiped out financially. Sorry, but it had to be done because the virus is so deadly. Now, it's not deadly enough where we would, you know, uh, tell people not to march uh, in protest, we would not we would not say it's that deadly. I mean, we would say it's that deadly if you're marching in protest over the orders to stay home. If you're protesting our orders, then yes, deadly. Stay home. Don't march. But if it's for the uh, police killing of uh, of a guy in Minneapolis, okay, yes, march. 
it's okay, spread the virus, give it to grandma, all of the people die in the nursing homes, we understand. It's, it's you know, one of life's trade-offs. And I think I shared in my remarks uh, just, just earlier that I want folks to know you are heard, you are seen, um, we take that very seriously, and I, I will say, um, in, in my role, in terms of leading our response to COVID-19, we want to use this as an opportunity to act now um, and make sure that our response is really focused on uh, uh, overcoming these uh, structural inequities that have been part of our system um, and have resulted in, in disparate health outcomes for African-American communities, um, our, our Latinx communities. Wait a minute. Latinx? That's the way you pronounce it? I've been calling it Latinx. I actually went and looked it up on the Google machine, and I'm actually right. It's Latinx, just in case you want to use that. Although most Latinos, Latinas, Hispanics, they don't like the term, uh, for real. I went and pulled a, uh, a poll from the progressive pollster Think Now. Uh, while my colleagues and I are progressive on social issues as researchers, we have to put aside our personal biases and render advice based on the best available empirical evidence. And so they uh, surveyed 508 people, Latinos, and asked them uh, what is their preferred nomenclature, the common terms used to describe Latinos, and then asked them to select the one that best describes them. And when it came to Latinx, there was near unanimity, despite its usage by academics and cultural influencers, 98% of Latinos prefer other terms to describe their ethnicity. Not that that's an important piece of information for our state Department of Health and Human Services social justice warrior, but I thought I would just enlighten everybody else. That's a wrap for this episode. I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. You can give it a thumbs up or a positive review in the reviews. That would be fantastic. Um, and uh, maybe consider becoming a patron of the program. You get cool stuff and exclusive content. Links are all at thepetecalendarshow.com and in the description of this here podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the support. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>